Well, I'm about to say some words that for thousands of years in worship services, words were never said. I'm about to say three words that no worship leader could ever say until more recent centuries, and that is, open your Bibles. For all of redemptive history, few believers had access to personal copies of a scroll or a book from the Bible, even part of Scripture, for most of church history until 400-some years ago, but even less so in other many parts of the world, and more recently, even into this century, the world did not have it in their native tongue. And I just want to say, I was so moved, I was moved to tears by what we heard in Sunday school and just thinking about and seeing the village, the celebration, the people dancing as they received God's word. Do not take for granted what we have. Treasure this book. Did you notice how they even, in the way they would hold it and handle it, they, they treasured it, they, they held it even above their heads, I think, to signify that they are under God's word, and we need to praise the Lord for and pray for missionaries that are laboring to get the word of God into people's hands. So I want to look at the word of God today with you. If you would please open your Bibles to Romans chapter 12, and I want to consider as we look at God's word and God's ways, what is God's will for your life? What is God's will for you in what you will face in the future. I know what God's will is. And I know it because God told me in his word. God speaks today audibly. You want to hear God speak audibly? When you read his word audibly, that is God speaking. If you want to hear from God, listen to his voice. That is where God tells us things. We get to hear God's Voice. This is written by the Apostle Paul to the Romans, but this is inspired, literally breathed out through God's Spirit. This is God's very words, like we sing, Speak, O Lord. Sola Scriptura. Scripture alone has the authority, nothing less or extra. And so we're going to look at Romans 12, 1 and 2. Paul says, Therefore I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. Or the ESV says that you may discern what is the will of God, what is his pleasing and good will. We have been looking at the book of Romans. We've been studying different attributes or aspects of God and his character. We've looked at many of those. And today we come to one that we have not yet seen in the book of Romans, and that is the will of God. And this brings in his sovereignty and some of the other things we've looked at before. But we're going to continue in looking specifically at God's will and how do we understand it, how do we discern it, how do we test 
It, how do we prove what is God's will? This is a study that can literally change the direction of your life. For me personally, studying this began to change the direction of my life. It was, uh, I think, about 23 years ago. I was a part of a home Bible study with my wife. John Paul Chenette, who was leading the Bible study, asked if, if I would want to take a turn on one of our Friday evenings leading the Bible study. I, I was quick to tell him no. That, that wasn't me to stand up in front of people and, and speak. And I began to feel a little bit convicted later because I just told him no. I didn't even pray about it or think about it. But I thought, you know, he, he probably thought about this and, and wanted to encourage me, so let me at least tell him that I'll think about it and I'll, I'll pray about it. And I agreed to teach just one time, and I didn't know what to teach, so Romans 12, 1 and 2 was the passage that I studied. And I, I taught that Bible study, and he and others encouraged me. They also encouraged me to not talk so fast because I was, I was so nervous. I just tried to get everything out as quick as I could. But I think about 22 years ago this summer, uh, we also went on a short-term mission trip to the Philippines. And they asked me to preach in one of the churches, and I didn't really have anything else to pull from. So I, I preached from Romans 12, 1 and 2. And the outline actually was somewhat similar to what we'll look at here today. And one of the missionary, who's now a missionary there, who serves with Alan Luciano, our missionaries there in the Philippines, he encouraged me, have you ever considered about seminary and that that might be part of God's plan for your life? And so this study for my life is, is very personal and, and really powerful as I studied this passage as God's plan for my life unfolded. But there's, there's some ways that God's will is sometimes taught that is not incredibly helpful. Sometimes people are they're looking for mystical feelings or they're looking for signs. Uh, Haddon Robinson tells the story of someone wondering, should I move? And so they're, they're praying, should I move? And then they open their eyes and they look at the clock and it says 747. And he, he took that as, that's got to be from the Lord. I need to get on a 747 and, and move to this place I'm thinking about. And Haddon Robinson said he would have been more impressed if it said 767. That, that might have been a little more of a supernatural sign. Clocks don't do that, in case you're wondering. <laughs> but a, a, a true story of a former church I was at, someone was wondering if he should get married to this, this woman or this girl that he was dating and, and the pastoral, pastoral counsel to him as well. You know, in the Bible, the, the Israelites marched around Jericho seven times. So why don't you do this? Why don't you... Why don't you have this young lady sit on a chair and march around her seven times and see if the walls of her heart fall down. And he, did, he literally did that. And she, after a few times, said she began to feel a weird sensation. And, and she might have been dizzy, you know, we, we don't know. But, but they actually got married, and, and it was actually kind of a sad story. They were in there for counseling uh, because... Uh, that was maybe not the best counsel to know uh, how to make a big decision about that. But how are we to make big decisions biblically? R.C. Sproul has a book, Can I Know God's Will?, where he tells the story of a girl who was lost and she came to a fork in the road and she doesn't know where to go. Indecision is, is stinging her, panic. She's lifting her eyes towards heaven for guidance, and she doesn't see God, but she sees the Cheshire cat. And, and the cat is 
looking at her and leering at her. And, and Alice says, which way should I go? And the cat has this smile on its face and, and says, that depends. And Alice says, depends on what? And, and the cat says, it depends on your destination. Where are you going? And Alice stammered, I don't know. And so then the cat's smile got even bigger. Then it doesn't matter which way you go. And maybe you felt like Alice sometimes. Maybe you felt lost at times. Maybe there's times where you come to a fork in the road, a decision, and, and you don't know what to do. You don't know where you're going, much less how are you to get there. Anxiety or indecisiveness can be paralyzing. And maybe you're wondering, is there only one destination marked out for us in life? And, and if we're not sure and we take the one that's maybe not the best, is that going to doom us? If I try this path that I'm not sure on, is that going to doom me to second best and plan B? We need to know God is not like that. If we look to God for guidance, if we look to God for guidance in his word, he will help us. But we need to not think of his will like a corn maze with a lot of dead ends and there's only one possible exit, but it's really, really hard to find. Or, or maybe thinking of God's will like this tightrope and it's almost impossible to, to get across and to, to balance things. Or, or to think of his will as this bullseye and only the perfect dead center can be described as God's will. Or, or maybe you think of a choose-your-own-adventure novel. Any of you guys read those when you were younger? Choose your own adventure. It looks like I'm the only... Okay, I got a few more. But it's these novels, and, and you get to this point, and you get to choose what would you do here. And then if you, if you choose wrongly, it goes to a different place, and you, you find out maybe you died, or I don't remember. But it does. Or if you make the right choice, it, it works out. That's not how it is with the will of God. Here's what another book, Found God's Will, says. Some apparently think God's will is lost. At least they say they're searching for it. To them, it's as if God has stashed his will like, like colored eggs somewhere out of sight, and he sent us running around trying to find it, it's, or as if he's saying, you're getting warmer, or you're getting colder, or some are actually afraid of, of God's will. They might think, like this one athlete that came up to this pastor at Hume Lake Camp and was afraid to really surrender his life to the Lord's will because he had this idea that God would take away his health, break his legs, and make him play the flute. Literally, he thought that. <laughs> As if God is some sort of cosmic killjoy. But in the middle of all this muddle, we still have this question, and it's in our text here, how do we discern the will of God? What about a job to seek or to not seek, a school to attend, or a girl or a guy to love, or a decision to make in any given situation? God, in his word, does reveal his will, but maybe a little bit differently than some people think. And we're going to look at some biblical principles, and it may be an unexpected and a surprising conclusion for you that I hope will be encouraging to you and that could change lives like it did for mine. Look with me at verse 2. At the end of it, it says in the ESV, that you may discern what the will of God is. But we need to start where this passage starts. Verse 1, I appeal to you, therefore, or I urge you, brothers... And so we need to understand who he's talking to. There's things here that can apply to us, 
But this is written to these Christians in New Testament times, and we need to understand that it's written to Christians. We need to start first and foremost, I think before we get to the question of God's will for a specific situation, is what is God's will for us, for all believers? And there's several implied questions to ask leading up to it. And the first one is, from that language, appealing to brothers, are you saved? Are you saved? Are you brothers? Are, are you family in Christ that this is appealing to? Because that's how verse 1 starts. And Christ Jesus said in Mark 3, verse 3, Whoever does the will of my Father, he is my brother and my sister. So we are brothers and sisters, just like the Romans as well. If, if Jesus is who we trust in and we, and we seek to do his will, John 6, verse 40 says, Jesus says, this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life. So what is the will of God the Father? God told me in his word, he told me this, this is the will of the Father, that everyone who looks on Jesus, that means looks on him with faith, believes in him, that he is who we claim to be, the Son of God, has eternal life. You can't begin to know the will of God for your life until he is Lord of your life and you trust him for eternal life. So Romans 12.1 is an appeal to, to a believer, to a brother or sister who, who does his will. It's interesting that several passages refer to believers as those who do his will. The, the world and its desires are passing away, but, but he who does the will of God abides forever. Not everyone say, who says, Lord, Lord, will go to heaven, but those who do the will of the Father. What is the will of, of the Father? It starts with believing on Jesus, trusting in Him. I don't think of works that you need to do to be saved. Think about trusting, looking to Him. That is His will, first and foremost, for you. He's not willing for you to perish, Scripture says. He is willing that you should come to repentance. That's His revealed will, His will of command, His will of call. We'll, we'll talk about His sovereign will later. But that's His revealed will. Will Jesus came to do the Father's will and to rescue us from doing our own will. Isaiah 53 says it this way, We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him, that's Jesus, the iniquity or the sin of us all. And it says this, It was the will of the Lord to crush him. That's, that's Jesus, to punish him. And it says the Lord makes his life a guilt offering. That's Jesus' life for our guilt. And it says this, the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. It's in Jesus that the will of the Lord prospers and bears fruit. And so what saving faith is, is it turns from our will to trust in Christ's death and his life for us. And part of coming to saving faith is it's now about him. It's about what he wants. We're following him now. He's the master. And Jesus says of God's children, these little ones who believe in me. Jesus says, it's not the will of my Father that even one of these little ones will perish, he says in Matthew 18. And he says, this is the will of him who sent me, that I shall lose none of all that he has given me, but I raise them up on the last day. And so his will is that you believe. That's his will of command. And his sovereign will keeps those who believe to the end, keeps his elect secure in his hand. That's his will of control. His revealed will is believe and be saved. That's where 
doing his will starts. But there's a second question now. Second question is, this is for believers now. Are you saying thanks? Are you saying thanks? I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, or I urge you, brothers, by the mercies of God. And when we see a therefore, we need to ask, what is it there for? What's there before it? We'll look back at Romans eleven thirty one, where Paul just talked about God's mercy. He says, so they too have now been disobedient in order that by the mercy shown to you, they also may now receive mercy. That was Paul's kinsman in Israel, his, his native people. Verse 32, for God has consigned all to disobedience that he may have mercy on all. There, there's great promises of salvation for Israel as well as the nations around the world. And there's mercy offered now even. But verse 36, here's where all that mercy comes together. For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. So he's praising, he's thanking God, he's glorifying God for his mercies. And he says, therefore, in view of God's mercies. In other words, therefore, the implication is you're, you're praising God for his mercies. You're, you're saying thanks to him for his, his mercies, his mercy to you, not giving you what you have deserved. And he's using language even thinking of Romans 1 where there's his common grace or his mercies that he gives to the, to the whole world. But it says sinners did not glorify him as God, nor did they give thanks to him, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. They, they should have been giving thanks. They should have been praising and glorifying God, but because they didn't, they couldn't think rightly. They couldn't see rightly. Their ability to make decisions was hampered. And it says they even thought they were wise and they were fools. And so it's a serious thing to not thank God. So we wonder, what is God's will for me? Well, this is God's will for you. Listen, let me give you 1 Thessalonians 5.18. says it explicitly. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. So if you wonder, what is God's will for me? There it is in exactly that phrase. This is the will of God for you, that you would be giving thanks in all circumstances. Even some of the difficult Things that you face and you wonder what to do. We know God wants you and calls you to give thanks. That's his revealed will. When you face a difficult decision, give thanks even as you ask for help. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says we're to trust in him. We're not to lean on our own understanding, our own heart. We're to acknowledge him in all our ways. And I think that includes acknowledging him with thankfulness as well as our need of him in all our ways. And it says, and he will, what? He will direct your paths, or he will make your paths straight. So we've got to be acknowledging him if we're seeking for our paths to be made straight or directed. If we're not grateful, if we're not thankful to God, we are not living his will for us. So think of his mercies. Thank him for his Mercies and don't stress or obsess about the unknown. Bless him who knows the future and who holds it in his hand and who holds you in his hand. Give thanks, say thanks. Are you doing that? And then are you submitted? 
middle of verse 1 talks about presenting your bodies as a living sacrifice. This is dying to self. This is, this is willing to submit all that you are to God's will. Take my life and let it be consecrated, Lord, to Thee. And the Lord Jesus actually modeled this for us when He came to a crossroads in His life. Remember in the Garden of Gethsemane. In His humanity as the time came to offer His body as a sacrifice on the cross. This is what He prayed in the garden. This is in Matthew 26. My Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass. He's, he's thinking of the, the cup of wrath that he's going to face on the, on the cross, punishment for the sins of others. He says, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. He's, he's pouring out his heart. Don't think that that wasn't a real struggle for him. It says he was sweating drops of blood. He had to have angels come and sustain him so he could make it to the cross. It was, he felt like, sorrowful like he was going to die in the garden before he got there as he's thinking about what he's going to face on the cross. Not the physical, but the spiritual. That he said, but he pours out his heart if it's possible, if there's any other way, but not as I will, as you will. And then the second time he went away and prayed, My father... If this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. And then the third time he comes and he says those same words. He's showing us how to pray. He taught us how to pray. Remember, let your kingdom come. Let your will be done. That's what we sang earlier. But then he also shows us what that looks like in some of the most difficult times of life. It looks like what we sing, take my will and make it thine. It shall be no longer mine. Take my hands, take my feet, take my lips, take my voice, take my heart. So that's presenting your, your body, all that you are, as a sacrifice. Have thine own way, Lord. Have thine own way. You are the potter. I am the clay. That's language from Romans also, Romans 9. Mold me and make me after thy will. While I am waited, yielded, and still. And that goes along with that acronym of a simple way to pray. I actually learned this from the, the kids here at the school. P-R-A-Y. Praise. Praise the Lord. R as you pray. Repent. If there's things you need to confess, we should do that regularly. A, ask. I think sometimes we, we just go straight to our asking, but we're not praising and repenting. And then... Do we do this when we pray also, yielding and submitting? Some of what I just read earlier, is that a part of our heart when we pray? John says, if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And, and James says, if you lack wisdom, ask of God. He says, you, you do not have because you do not ask sometimes. But James also says in, in chapter 4, it's okay to make plans about next year. But he says, we need to say as we make those plans, if it be the Lord's will. Because otherwise it's boasting and it's sinful. We need to do that as well when we make our plans. So are you submitted? And I could give you some, some categories of what that can look like. Are you submitted to God in prayer? And we read that example from Jesus. Are you submitted to authorities in your life? 
1 Peter 2 says this, Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every authority instituted among men. For it is God's will that by doing good you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish men. That's God's will. That we would be submitted to authorities. It's his will and it's, it's our witness as well. And Ephesians 6 applies that specifically to your authorities at work. It says this, not only to win their favor when their eye is on you, but like slaves of Christ doing the will of God from your heart. That as you work this week, you're called to, to do it not just when your boss or your coworker is watching, but knowing you're a slave of Christ is the language, Ephesians 6, 6, doing the will of God from your heart, not a people pleaser. You want to do the master's will. Whether anyone else is watching or not, he is watching. And another authority in Ephesians 6 is the authority of parents. Children are to obey their authority of parents when they're young, and even as they're older, they're to honor their father and mother, that it may go well with you, it says. There is blessing and honor as we seek to honor our parents, asking their counsel. They know you more than anyone, seeking their counsel. Even if they may not be a believer, there's still wisdom you can have from your parents. It's an honor to them that you would seek them out. You're not obligated to obey them like you were as a child, but you can honor them by, by seeking their input. But also to church leaders and godly counsel. Hebrews 13 says, remember your leaders, those who spoke the word of God to you. And it says, submit to them. For they are keeping watch over your souls. You might say, well, they're imperfect. Yeah, there's only one perfect person. That's that's the Lord. But he uses imperfect people. And the bottom line is, you're imperfect. We all need the input, the godly input of others. We need elders in our lives. We need godly believers, mature believers in our lives. 1 Peter 5, 5 says, submit yourselves to your elders. But then it says this also, yes, all of you be submissive to one another and clothed with humility because God resists the proud and gives grace to the humble. So reach out with your struggles. Resist the proud thought that other people are perfect or aren't struggling in this. I can assure you that is not the case. Resist the proud thought that you're okay on your own. We all need humility and help. I need this. You need this. We all need to seek this. And and let me encourage you, before you make a big decision and announce it to others, seek counsel of one of your spiritual leaders and, and other mature believers who you invite into that process. Don't just send a text or write an email. See if you can face to face meet with a mature believer, a pastor, a shepherd, or someone in our Women Helping Women team. Every week at the end of the service, we mention there's people up here to talk with you, pray with you. Any, any week when you're wrestling with some, something or, or some struggle or someone in, in your life that you can reach out to who knows God's word, and the key is you're not just asking for advice, you're asking, what does God's word have to say about this? Where might I be thinking wrongly? Because we need to always submit our thinking to scriptural principles. And, and the end of verse 1 talks about worship. And, and so we need to resist the, 
the impulse to try to find someone who doesn't worship with us, but start first with who is someone I worship with that I can seek help from rather than someone totally outside of my church. Ask leaders, ask believers for godly input. So are you submitted? Will you be submitted? Are, are you saying thanks? This is where this starts, but there's a, a fourth one. Are you seeking to please God? This comes down to our, our hearts, our motives. And he talks about even the language presenting ourselves as a living and a holy sacrifice or, or holy and acceptable to God. Another translation says, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. That, that word pleasing or acceptable is the word Paul used in, in 2 Corinthians 5.9. We make it our ambition to please Him. We make it our aim, whether we're at home or away, to, to please Him. Is that your goal? And this is something to ask yourself. What, what's my, what am I seeking in this, in this decision I'm about to make here? Am I seeking to, to please God in it? Is that my aim? Do, do I want to be holy? Do I want to be set apart, different than the world? 1 Thessalonians 4, 1-7 through 7 says, Live in order to please God. And, and here's another, it is God's will. Verse 3, It is God's will that you be sanctified. That means set apart, made holy. What is God's will for you? I, I know exactly what it is. It's God's will for you to be Sanctified, to be different than the world, set apart, holy. That you should, he goes on, avoid sexual immorality. That each of you should learn to control his body in a way that is holy and honorable. For God did not call us to be impure, but to be holy. And so, as we pursue, as we think about what to, what to do with our life, who to pursue, our relationships, what to watch and all this, we know this is God's will for us, that we would be holy. We need to think about that as we're deciding things. It's God's will that we be sanctified, that we are avoiding the things that would make us unholy. And this word for pleasing God is what Paul uses in Ephesians 5 when he says we need to discern what is pleasing to the Lord Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Boy, we need that in these evil days. How can we redeem the time? We need to think carefully about decisions we're making and and what we're doing, how we're walking that we would make the best use of the time. There's things where there's freedom for us to do, but is, is this the, the best way I can use this time? That's part of understanding what the will of God is. And then Ephesians goes on to talk about saying thanks and submitting to each other. So all these flow together. And here's something we need to recognize as we think theologically about God's will. We, we cannot discern God's will of providence and what he's doing behind the scenes. God doesn't show us the future. Like, like false religions think they can see the future by using cards and all kinds of different things. What God's word calls us to is to discern what would please him today. How can I be faithful now? There, there's a great article by Tim Challies he just did on the, on the will of God. and talks about don't, don't be thinking about so much years down the road. If you're not being faithful now, be thinking about how can I please God now in this stage of life 
even as I pursue what would be the best use of my time in this, in this decision. And, and that's hard to discern sometimes. That's why we need to pray for it. Colossians 1, 9, and pray for others. Paul says, We have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work. That's a prayer to pray. Colossians 1, 9, and 10. And think about, are you serving others? Are, are you bearing fruit? Are you seeking to walk worthy to please Him? Because that's more important and emphasized in God's Word than those unknowns that you're wrestling with. And Romans 12, 2 ends with discerning what is good and pleasing. But remember, the end of chapter 11 says, It's to Him be the glory forever and ever. And that language is also in the benediction at the end of Hebrews 13, that God would equip you with everything good to do His will, working in us that which is pleasing in His sight. That's doing His will. What's pleasing in His sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Some of the exact same wording. We're to seek to please Him to His glory. And something else Jesus said about the future, about tomorrow. He says, do not worry about your life. And he's talking about decisions of, of what am I going to do? What am I going to wear? What am I going to eat? He, here's what he says. Seek, this is the end of Matthew 6, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you as well as you're seeking that first. God's going to take care of those things. But he says, don't worry about tomorrow. I think a lot of times we're worrying about tomorrow. We're violating what Jesus said. We need to go back to seeking first his kingdom, his righteousness, his rule, his right, what, everything that's right from his word. And so that takes us to the last one. Number five, are you studying and striving to be more Christ-like? Look one more time at Romans 12, 2. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So there's two sides of this coin. Don't conform to the pattern of this world. That would include worldly wisdom, worldly ways. And then the, the flip side is be transformed by the pattern of, of the word as it renews your mind. That's where renewal comes from. It comes from through the Holy Spirit, through his truth. And we saw a couple of weeks ago, we have the renewed mind of Christ when we take thoughts captive and we seek to make them obedient to Christ. Okay, this thought came into my mind, this feeling, how does that line up with Scripture? Does that need to obey Christ? As 1 Peter 4, 2 says, we live no longer for human desires, but for God's will. In Psalm 1 there's many scriptures that talk about this. Psalm 1 talks about the blessed person who does not walk in the counsel of the ungodly. When difficult things come up, his instinct isn't to go find some ungodly psychologist or person to talk to. His, his impulse is delighting in the law of the Lord and on his word meditating day and night. He's, he's wanting input from godly people that are, that's based on God's word. 
He meditates on it, and it says that person will be blessed in what he does is the truth of God, and he becomes like a tree. And that tree, then, that is bearing fruit can help others who will come to it for fruit and can get that godly, the counsel of the godly from him. Psalm 119, 105, another familiar verse says, God's word is a lamp to our feet and a, what? Light to our path. That's the, the image of, you know, when we're at family camp and it's dark, you need, a, you need a flashlight, you need some sort of a lamp and a light for your path or you're going to get hurt, you're going to trip and, and, and be injured and, and, and fall. That's what God's word is. We, we hold it forth before us and it, it shows us not even so much exactly where to, to step, if you will. It shows us where not to step. And then we can move forward with the light of God's word. All we need for life and godliness. Peter says, he has given us. We have a sufficient word. We, we have God's word in our language. We have so many resources in our language that so much of the world doesn't have. We need to be in God's word. We need to apply God's word. He has shown you, O oh man, what is good and what the Lord requires of you. He's shown you. He's shown you in his word. It's to do things right. It's to be humble, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with our God. So read and study his word daily. And ask God to teach you a great prayer. There is the Psalm 143 passage, verse 8 and 10. It says, let the morning bring me word of your love. Show me the way I should go, he prays there. Teach me to do your will, for you are my God. May your good spirit lead me on level ground. It's a great prayer to pray as we come to God's word in the morning. Ask him that he would show us where to go. He would show us how to apply and obey what we know from his word in that day. That he would teach us his will. That his spirit would lead us on level ground. The biblical counselor named Stuart Scott, who, teaching on decision-making, has given some, some cautions for our renewed mind making decisions. And some things to be cautious about would be ideas, inner feelings, and impressions. A lot of people put a lot of stock in that, but we need to, when those things come, not, not interpret them as a personal will of God. We need to realize they're not reliable, they're not revelation, like, like this book, they, they are subjective. Uh, we need to bring the objective word of God. We need to bring wisdom to bear on our ideas. We're not to lean on our own ideas. So be careful with feelings or even the idea of inner peace or lack thereof. What we need to discern is, is why am I lacking peace? But the reality is there's, there's going to be difficult and good things that God calls you to do that you're not feeling completely settled on. And some of that could be fear of, of man. So we can't have that be the trump card. I, I don't feel at, at peace going and witnessing to this person. I never feel at peace going up to walk up to someone and to share things that might be uncomfortable. But I know if God has called me to that, I don't want to make lack of peace an excuse but when we do lack peace, we need to try to wrestle with why. Is, is, there a, is my conscience being violated? Is there something from Scripture here that I need to look into as to why I'm unsettled about this? We need to be careful about setting up conditions like Gideon's fleece. Jesus warned 
when he was being tempted not to put the Lord, your God, to the test, quoting from Scripture. We need to make sure we're not testing God by setting up conditions. I'll only obey you if you do this. And and here's another one to be careful for, open doors. Paul's going to talk about open doors in in Romans. He's going to talk about how he, he wanted to come there, but he was hindered. He hopes to come. If it's God's will, he prays for God to open a door, and he's talking about ministry. And so that's a concept in, in Scripture. But there was a time where he also in Corinthians talked about how there was a door open for me, but he went to another place because there were, there were two different open doors. And just because a door is open doesn't mean that you have to walk through that door just because it's open. One counselor said, some open doors are elevator shafts, so be careful. Don't just run through a door because it's open. But also don't be passive. I'll I'll do it if that door opens. We're also called to to knock and to seek and to ask and to see if that door will open. I know that's something I often need to do is, is, is not be passive But here's the bottom line. We don't know the future in God's secret, sovereign will. We need wisdom in living out his scriptural will, applying what he's already given to us. There's a lot for us to apply here that he's revealed to us. God doesn't call us to discover his secret will for the future. He calls us to do his scriptural will that he's revealed to us. Listen to Deuteronomy 29 29, the secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things that are revealed belong to us and to our children that we may do all the words of this law. And so there's, there's two senses of God's will. There's his sovereign will, which encompasses all things. He works all things according to the counsel of his will, Ephesians 1. But then there's his scriptural will, the, 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 what the scripture tells us to do. There's his decreed will, as as theologians call it. Everything that comes to pass is by his decree. And then there's his desired will that that is often disobeyed. His, His scripture is often disobeyed by people, but his decreed will cannot be thwarted. No one can thwart God's decreed will. His his will of control is different than his will of Command, or another word to be his will of providence is different than his will of precepts, the, 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 the scriptures, the precepts, the, the principles, the commandments. And, and here's good news. If you are not disobeying God's word, you are in his will in both senses of that word in scripture. And so you don't have to fret or, or fear if you're not disobeying God's word. You are not in either of those senses of which, out of God's will in those senses. The question now is, how can you be wise? How can you make the best use of the time? I think a better word is wisdom than what sometimes people are asking for in God's will. Romans 12, 2 ends with, then you can discern what is the will of God. And, and the good news is, all things, Romans eight twenty eight. he said a little bit earlier, God works all things, even where we might make mistakes or make the, a choice that might not have been best. God is going to work all those things together for your ultimate good and to make you more conformed to the image of Christ. That's Romans eight twenty eight and 29. He's predestined us to be conformed to the image of his son. And so all things includes all things, including things that maybe wasn't the best or the wisest, decision. 
Good news is he's working all those things together for his plan. And in that sense of Romans 8, 28, you're always on the Romans 8, 28, plan A. You're not on plan B or C or D or E or F or whatever letter you think you're on. God is working his good plan A in all things. And that's liberating, that he is working all those things. Jesus said a There's no sparrow that can fall to the earth apart from the will of the Father, he says in in Matthew chapter 10. You can't fall outside of his ultimate sovereign will. So here's how Proverbs 16.3 says it. Commit your way to the Lord, and your plans will be established. And it says in verse 9, the heart of man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. None of this should make us passive. None of this should make us to not plan. But we need to recognize as we make plans, we need to say, if the Lord wills, to know that he's going to establish our steps. He can even direct our path or redirect our path. The good news is if you do what Romans 12, 1 and 2 says, you will discern the will of God. And if if you're facing a decision where you're, you're not submitted to God and to godly input, do that. If you're not saying thanks, do that. If you're not seeking to please God, do that. If you're not studying and striving to be more Christ-like, do that. But the good news is, as you do that, you can do what you want and be in God's will. You could do what you wish if you're doing those other things and you are in God's will. It's interesting, in 1 Corinthians, Paul talks about a woman whose husband has died, and he says she is free to marry whom she wants only in the Lord. He doesn't say if she can just find the one right person on planet Earth. She's free to be married. She's free to marry who she wants. Now, that guy's got to want to be married too. That's how it works. But the point there is, is it's got to be in the Lord. That's the biblical parameter and framework. He's got to be a believer. But listen to this in Psalm 37, 4. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. When you're, when you're doing these things in Romans 12, when you're delighting in the Lord and seeking him first and all these things, he's going to give you the desires of your heart. He's going to give you the de- very desires that he is going to grant. And you can follow those desires. If they're not disobeying scripture, there is freedom, but act with wisdom. There's, there's freedom within what scripture lays out. What we're called to do is act with wisdom. So Kevin DeYoung says it this way, If you do these things in Romans 12, 1 and 2, then we will be able to discern what God's will is, and we will have something better than special revelations and words about the future. We'll have wisdom. Don't wait for the liver shiver, he says. If you're seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, you will be in God's will. So he says, just go out and do something. That's his book. Just do something. Do what you want. Go where you want for God's glory if you are doing these very things. There is freedom, but there is wisdom that we need. We need to follow God's revealed will. We need to trust him. We need to seek him first and all these things. We need to sometimes step out on, in faith. We need to pursue things more than we are sometimes passively inclined. But the good news is God is working all these things together for good, to those who love him, to those who are called according to his purpose. Amen. Amen. Let me pray. Our great and gracious God, we thank you.
for your word, where your will is made known. And Lord, what we need is wisdom in applying your will, discerning what would be best in decision-making. Lord, help us to not be islands, to not be independent, to not be proud and think we don't need help of others. Lord, where we're struggling in our lives and our relationships, Lord, help us to get the help we need first and foremost from you, but also from believers that you have placed in our lives. Pray that you'd help us as shepherds to shepherd people well. Lord, there are many difficult decisions that will be faced by people this summer or even are being faced now. Lord, help them to seek to please you and to to study and, and be more like Christ. We pray all these things in his name for his glory and his kingdom and his righteousness. Amen.